The following presentation is brought to you by KMmedia.pro. Please visit KMmedia.pro for more information. Now stay right where you are as we present. Welcome to Positive Talk Radio, evolving ideas, one conversation at a time. Great guests, dynamic stories and interviews, plus new thoughts on a wide range of topics and concepts. I hope that you'll hang with me, Kevin McDonald, my friends, and of course, you, as together we work to understand why we are all here and what we can do to make our world a better place for all of us to be happy, be kind, and live in peace together. Yep, that's Positive Talk Radio. Welcome, everybody, to a Positive Talk Radio episode for Friday. I'm kind of disappointed because we were going to have uh, Dana Parker here, who we had prepared, and, and, and Kayla had graciously put together her chart, and we were going to talk about her and, and stuff like that, but now we can't because she's not here because she's sick. She's got the, she's got the COVID, so... Yes, um. I keep hoping that that damn thing's going to go away, and I just don't think it's going to. You know, <laughs> it's just gonna it's gonna continue to like peter out little by little, and keep affecting people, and then come up again, and then peter out again, and you know, it's it's it's, it's just terrible, just terrible. Yeah. So, so anyway, Kayla Mason is here. And she is, it is awesome. I wanted to explore. We had an opportunity. Um, and that one I have not put up yet. I'm putting that one after we get down here. And then I'm going to put this one up after that. But we haven't had a chance to really explore everything that you do because we just met the other day. Yeah, it's true. We did. And we so, kind of just dove right in. We've got so many great things to talk about. So. <laughs> absolutely. So so that's so your, your main thing that you do is? Human design. Um, but through a lens of, and I think we talked about this last time, radical self-acceptance. Which let's, let's go down that rabbit hole again, because <laughs> radical self-acceptance means exactly what again? Um, it means the idea of radically accepting absolutely every single part of who you are, how you show up, the way that you act in situations and just kind of showing up and being okay with all of those things. The things that we've been conditioned to believe are good. The things we've been conditioned to believe are bad. The things that are somewhere in the middle, all of it. I thought about that a great deal. And it's like that you realize, of course, that that is contrary to what a lot of people teach and also what a lot of family and friends would tell us about ourselves. It's like, you know, you really need to fix this and you could work on that and you really need to lose weight and you really need to don't look in the mirror naked because you're going to break it, you know, and all of that kind of stuff, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And I think even when we look at the, the world of coaching, the world of uh, like what we talk about, new age, talking about uh, spirituality, the concept of toxic positivity this idea that only good feelings, you should only ever be having good feelings, only ever be happy. Sadness should be pushed away. This is not productive when it comes to actually figuring out what's going on inside of you. 
because so often when you are dealing with like when you're dealing with a situation where you don't feel comfortable in your own skin or where you feel like the world is against you where you feel like you're a victim in your own life it's rooted in p the concept that people are fighting against you that there are things happening to you that the people in your life are telling you you need to do this you need to do this when the way that I like to look at it is that all of these things in your life, all of the things that are happening, everything is happening for you. Everything is happening to kind of push you a little further on your journey. And if that means that there are people who are coming in and kind of like knocking on this door of your insecurities, Oftentimes, it's a little ping to dive into where those come from. Why do I feel like I, why do I feel like I don't want to look in the mirror? Where does that come from? Because it's not an innate human thing. The no. concept of loving yourself and your body is part of our survival. If you do not love yourself and your body, then you are not going to take care of yourself and your body. And that is contrary to survival. So there are a lot of things that we've kind of learned that are that are very contrary to what is actually useful for us. And in order to understand where those things come from so that we can dig in and heal and you know understand how to get from point A to point B, we need to bring that awareness out. You know, what's really interesting about, about that and about like, about weight and stuff is it's all it's all uh cultural because Ooh, of, yeah because, because there was a guy that was on uh, um america's got talent mm -hmm. and he was a comic and he was a black man from africa and he said you know you have a completely different attitude about about weight and stuff here than we do in africa because in africa if we see a guy who's heavy we go where'd you get the food <laughs> Yep. <laughs> so, so and so he is perceived to be a rich guy mm -hmm. because he's got as much food as he can and wants to eat and where over here it's like oh you you don't have any uh willpower and what's you know you need to lose you know so yeah. when we're talking about weight or about our way of being or our way of talking or what, what we're doing where we're, it's all cultural yeah. um it yeah. seems to me it's cultural. I think another part of it that's interesting is that when somebody starts on a health journey, when somebody starts on, you know, I'm going to go on a diet or I'm going to start doing an exercise regimen, I'm going to whatever. The thing that actually happens in there, sure, maybe you're changing your diet. Maybe that affects it a little. Sure, you're working out. Maybe that affects it. But the biggest thing that's happening is that you are making a conscious choice to care for yourself. And when you make that conscious choice to care for yourself, and this could be working with a coach in an emotional way. This doesn't have to be choosing to eat different foods. Anything that you are doing, this could also be choosing to leave a relationship that isn't serving you. Whenever you make a decision that is, that is showing yourself that I am more important than whatever this other thing is, whenever you're changing your focus to I'm caring for myself, something changes in your brain. 
And I honestly think that the, you know, the results that people see from their weight loss journey, from their whatever, is a lot more connected, if, if it is more connected to a soul journey, then it sticks. If it's not, if it's very much connected to a, I need to fit in society, so I'm going to do this thing, it doesn't stick. That's when you get the yo-yo. That's when you get the up and down. Because unless you've chosen to do something in order to care for yourself, then it's not going to become a, a habit. Whereas when you turn to self-love, you create a cycle where, oh, when I love myself, I feel good. Oh, that feels great, you know? It, the, the, it's insidious, though, because there are some things that we do. For instance, if you, if you love, 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 and I mean love to have a lot of chocolate, and you have a lot of chocolate in your house, or with one that's even worse is like if you're a smoker, mm-hmm. and your you derive pleasure from smoking that cigarette, mm-hmm. and so to be healthy, and you know intellectually that mm-hmm. you want to be healthy, but my brother, who died from uh, stage four lung cancer, mm-hmm. smoked every day for every day of his life. After he'd been diagnosed, he continued to smoke. Um, even when he thought that the, the Lord was going to come down and heal him, he continued to smoke. Um, and so, because that's what gave him pleasure. So that's yeah. the insidious part, is that there's sometimes you have to make a decision that to have better health, you've got to modify some of your behavior. How do you help people? If somebody comes to you and says, I want to be healthy, but I, I'm a smoker and I can't seem to put that down. Or I, I keep kicking the cat and, and beating the dog and kicking the kids. And and, yeah. and, and my wife says, uh, don't stop smoking because we can't handle you when you're, when you're the way you are. How do you help? Can you help? Yeah. So actually, so this, this is one of the things that often I, I deal with, with clients and what it really comes down to is the emotions on the other side of it. We're talking about awareness. We're talking about figuring out where this concept of self-care, this I'm going to smoke a cigarette because this is my self-care comes from. And I call these like sabotaging self-care behaviors. I, I actually went through a serious period of time where I was binge eating. Um, and as a person who does not gain weight, it was never something that anybody in my life could see. So nobody ever called me out on it. And yet I was binging chocolate and all sorts of things every night. I was just eating a ton of it and then feeling like crap. And the thing that we then have to address is what is it that you are actually feeling when you get that craving? What is it that's actually coming up for you? I had a client who was uh, snacking all day long. She was snacking all day long, uh, constantly. She'd go through whole bags of popcorn um, and was feeling really guilty about all of this. So initially, the idea is, okay, what if we just switch out the popcorn with something like a carrot? <laughs> you know. And in their mind, they're going, oh, sure, that's yeah, going to work. Like that's, that's not going to help. But then the thing is, is if you're switching out, then you're literally just, it's like putting a Band-Aid on it there's, you're not actually helping at all. So what I started having her do was every time she had that 
that modus to go grab the popcorn. Every time she wanted, I, I had her sit, take a second, check in what is happening in your body right now. What part of you is telling you what in your brain, what in your body is calling? Are you feeling anxious? Are you feeling uh, bored? Are you actually hungry? And then we can kind of get in there and figure out what's actually happening. So for her, it was that she was bored at her job, that she did not want to be there and that she was unhappy and that she wanted something that was going to like taste buds, make her feel better about what was happening in her day to day. And with this client, I was working with her on her human design. And this is something that um, we actually didn't talk about, but we could talk about in a bit. She has a defined sacral center, which means that when she asks herself a yes or no question, she will get a yes or no answer. Um, so I had her start asking herself. And it was the kind of thing where sometimes she was hungry. Sometimes she needed to go eat lunch. Sometimes she was sad. Sometimes she was needing a break at work and wanted to take a nap. But most of the time when you're utilizing these uh, sabotaging self-care behaviors like having a cigarette, like digging your hand into the bowl of candy, the actual emotional impulse that's happening when you have that craving is different from I'm going to, uh, it's not a craving for I would like to have a cigarette. It's a moment of, I don't feel safe right now and I need to go do something that feels safe. It's a moment of I'm starving and I don't know what to eat and I can't wrap my mind around the idea of having to eat something right now. So if I smoke a cigarette, I won't be hungry anymore. I'm gonna go smoke a cigarette. It's a matter of kind of taking the back door, taking the back exit and seeing what's going on behind the craving. And from there, we can start to understand. And the thing that I like to say is that this is this part, this part right here is the awareness part. And once you, once you have the awareness, then other things slowly but surely, they start falling into place. Because I like to call, uh, I love the metaphor of the ice cube in the sun. So the metaphor for awareness is if you take an ice cube out of the fridge and you put it in the sun, out of the freezer, you put it in the sun, that ice cube is now forever changed. It doesn't matter what you do to that ice cube. You could take it out of the sun. You could put it in the shade. You could put it back in the freezer. You could do a little dance to hope that it doesn't melt. <laughs> but it doesn't matter because you've already taken that ice cube out of the freezer and put it in the sun. So it is already changed forever. And even if that water refreezes, it's going to refreeze totally differently. So once you have the awareness, that's the first step to understanding, oh, maybe when I smoke, it's because somebody in my life is making me feel like I don't deserve to have the things that I have in my life. Maybe someone is making me feel like I'm not okay the way that I am. And what you were just discussing sounds like there may have been a moment of I can't be accepted for who I am. So I need to go do something that's going to change who I am in order to in order to make myself okay for other people. And that's a really difficult thing to grapple with, which is where that radical self-acceptance comes back in. 
Wow, you are really good because I've never heard any. I've never heard anyone talk about it. So let let me, let me just do because um, obviously we're talking about somebody who's near and dear to my heart. Um, um, because, but let's so let's bring that back up, and uh, yes. <laughs> because by the way, I did notice that when you did uh, Dana's chart. Yeah, that there were lots of uh, and I can't remember if it if it's clear if there if there's no color to it. Um, that's that's the only signifier. It doesn't matter what color it is. It just matters if whether there is color or not color. Right. Exactly. Yep. So I noticed she had a bunch of them that had no color yeah. and I've only got one. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so so, so, <laughs> so yeah. go ahead. No, 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 no. What, what was your question? Tell me. My, my, so my question is, according to my chart, according to this human behavior thing here, mm -hmm. do am I susceptible to addictive behavior? So addiction is very, very interesting. And I, I've seen people write about the idea that addiction lives in our undefined centers. Um, essentially the places where we are, like we talked about last time, absorbing energy from others and therefore will kind of identify with that energy. Um, so it is possible that there are, uh, that you deal with addiction in reference to identity. So oftentimes this will come up as I need to know who I am. Who am I? Who am I? Where do I belong? What, how do I fit in? this concept of, uh, of needing to feel like you belong in a group. Um, and that is the kind of addiction that would fall into the undefined self-center. But I think that it really depends on the person and the other things that are going on. Because one of the things that I've discovered is that, for instance, if a person has a lot of defined energy like you do, but was put in a situation either through a relationship or uh, what, from your parents or whoever, where you felt like the person that you are was not safe to be, then that can also put up blockers. That can also put up limiting beliefs that push you into addictive behaviors. So even though you're not uh, absorbing energy the way that we had discussed yesterday, if, for instance, you have a defined emotional center, so if at any point in time someone told you it's not safe to have emotions, you're not allowed to cry, you're not allowed to share your feelings, then that may have caused you to begin to repress your emotions and take this thing that is innately a part of who you are, this feeling of emotions, and turned it into something that you weren't allowed to feel. And then whenever you felt that thing, there may have been a moment of, oh shit, I'm, I'm, about, to, I'm about to do the thing that I'm not supposed to do. I have to figure out how to, how to get rid of it. And in there, we can get addicted to things like bottling up our emotions. I know this is something that I did for years and years and years, was just bottling up my emotions and just pushing them further and further down. And knowing that it felt a little safer to bottle them up but then when they would come out, I had no control. So let me ask you. Yeah. My grandfather smoked. Yeah. I distinctly remember my my dad and my grandfather sitting in. They had twin. We had twin rec reclining chairs. Mm 
-hmm. And I distinctly remember them both smoking with, uh, um, with a, a beer on their TV trays each watching television. And I'm a little kid and I'm on the floor mm-hmm. and I, and the dog is with me and I'm watching these two guys smoke. So yeah. it became something that I wanted to do from a very early age. I, I remember the smell of my dad's cigarette when we drove in the car. And and the fact that he would take a 16 ounce beer and drink it while driving and then put it underneath the seat and stuff. <laughs> people did people did stuff like that back then. Yeah. And and so I grew up wanting to smoke. Mm-hmm. It was all part of my kind of my DNA. Well, when I was in my 30s, I managed to quit for 15 years. And then my son had picked up smoking and, uh, and I was now a bus driver. And so I used the bus driver as being, um, a stressful job. So I was entitled to Mm. then pick it up again. Mm -hmm. Fast forward 10 years later, it's, it's, it's detrimental to my health. I'm 64 years old and my dad died of lung cancer. My brother died of lung cancer. I would really rather not die that way. That really kind of sucks. Yeah, that, that sucks. So, but, but why is it, is it because from the time that I was like a wee little bit that, that people were smoking, I, as, as an example, I've got a, I'm a lot older than you. Mm-hmm. We had a, uh, I saw a, uh, um, a super eight film of a party that my mom and dad threw and I was like two. So I was kind of crawling all over the couch and stuff like that. And there were a bunch of adults around. They all had cigarettes in their hands and there was a half gallon bottle of Jim beam whiskey right in the middle of the table. It's like, that's how, that's how, that's where I grew up. That's how people behaved. Uh, in those days. And so, so it was always, that was always except not only acceptable behavior. That was, if I want to be with the cool kids, that would, that's what I got to do. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know if you are picking up on this, but every story you just told was about wanting to belong. So yeah when we're talking about that undefined self-center there's no question in my mind <laughs> that is where this is coming from it seems like you innately understand that this is not a healthy thing for your body especially because you stopped for a significant period of time oh, but yeah. you never addressed what was actually going on underneath the surface and what's going on under there is this innate need to belong, to feel accepted, to feel like you are allowed to sit with the crowd of cool kids, to feel like you can, you know, sit next to your son and enjoy a moment with a cigarette, you know? And so, and the reason that you're dealing with that is with that open, undefined self-center. You, because there are no gates in there, so, if you look at the chart where you see all of the little uh, red dots, 
all of the yeah. red dots in the chart are gates that are lit up in your chart. That's how the chart is put together. The gates get lit up. And if there are two gates on opposite sides of a channel, they connect and they light up those two centers. So when we look at your middle center, you can't see this on your chart, but there are most people will have gates coming out of their undefined centers. So when you have gates that come out of an undefined center, you are still creating energy from that space. You just don't get to use it quite as readily unless you're around someone who gives you that energy. But because you don't have any gates in there, your sense of identity and your sense of belonging is something that you literally do not create by yourself at all. You pick it up from everybody around you. Oh, crap. <laughs> so from a very early age, and it sounds like when you talked about that, that image of your grandfather and your father smoking a cigarette and, and drinking a beer together or having that bottle of Jim Beam there, that sounded like you were telling me about a happy memory. Am I right? I, I don't remember the Jim Beam thing. Uh, but but I do remember the, the my grandfather used to when he would smoke he would he would he would blow it out in a certain way so that the smoke was came out just like in a rush and it was a great big <laughs> bloom of, of and I always thought God damn that's cool how do you yeah. do that <laughs> Yep yeah. And so you're you are feeling these positive belonging feelings from childhood when you think about that memory. And then as an adult, you are almost recreating this father-son bonding with your own son. Yes, exactly. Mm -hmm. You know, what's interesting about that is I never smoked around my dad um, because it's, it's and interesting. This, this is really bizarre. I, because they frowned upon smoking and stuff and I wanted to be approval get the approval of them. I never until late in life, I never smoked around my mom and dad, even when I was smoking. Mm -hmm. Um, I would, so my dad and I never would go out in the garage. He, he had a, we had a saying that he wasn't allowed to smoke in the house. So he'd go sweep the garage. And so, but I never went out with him, um, to sweep the garage and we'd, each have a cigarette and talk about stuff. That wasn't the time type of relationship that we had. So, but it was, but that was, that was weird it, that I never, that I never smoked around them. Yeah. I, what I'm, what I'm seeing in this is that your relationship with your father was enough, a separate entity that it wasn't affected by this concept of, of belonging when it came to cigarettes, which is why it didn't come back until later in life when you were getting to be in the space with your son. But the thing, so the thing that, the thing that I would do if we were in a session and we were about to dig into all of this, I'd probably bring you into a meditation and I'd probably bring you back to the childhood moment when, you know, and to figure out what you're actually feeling in that space. Like when you are in that space and you're thinking about what's happening there, what are the feelings that are coming up? And then the next step of that is how do we create, how do you give yourself that love? So. 
I don't understand. <laughs> Say that again. <laughs> so, okay. Do you, do you want to, do you want to, do you want to, would you like me to ask you that question? Are I'm you wanting open, to? If, if this will help somebody okay. else in, in, in the world who listens to this down the road, uh, it would, I'm, I'm, I'm open to it because awesome. that's, that's, that's what we do. And by the way, you're fabulous. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> you, you get it. I try. <laughs> you get it and you get me. Um, yeah, and, I, yeah. <laughs> which is a little disconcerting because it's like <laughs> we just like met I'm, yeah I feel like I'm in my underwear <laughs> anyway go ahead go ahead um so when you think about that memory of your grandfather what are the feelings that come up for you of your father uh, and your grandfather love and um um want to be just like them want to be just like them Okay. Want to grow up to be like those guys to be able to do that. Sit in a they have we lived in a nice house. They could uh, um, sit there and and they were they were the men in charge and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, and what about that? Was there a part of you that uh, was there a part of you that felt like? you were not allowed in that room or did you feel like you were allowed to sit in that room and be there with them? Were you on the outside looking in or were I you? I was on the outside looking in. Okay. One of, the, one of the jokes in our family is that I spent more time in my room uh, than I spent anywhere else because my father um, wanted to have a nice quiet house and I was the youngest of three. Uh, my brother was 18 months older than me. We fought like cats and dogs. He actually hung me by the neck when I was 10. Oh. He threw me in the in the dryer when I was eight, um, oh. and turned it on, and 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 stuff. And he had a regular habit of stuffing grass up my. So we fought. We fought a lot. Yes. And so my my dad would rather than to put up with that, or and I also was inquisitive. If he yeah. said. Don't talk back, young man. I would say why, and he'd say, "Go to your room," and and so consequently, I that that big voice thing that I I have there, yeah. that wasn't allowed to be used. Yeah, yeah, and, and and stuff. So so when I was in that room with them doing that, I had to be very quiet, and okay. I was thinking that and so i it was something that I, I that i wanted to attain that i couldn't attain right there because yes. i was on the outside looking in and you felt like you had to be on the outside because you weren't allowed to be in the room because oh. you would ruin it somehow correct so yeah so the, it it feels like you were feeling shamed for who you were oh incessantly the, yeah so yeah. Essentially, what we're what we're looking at here is that you were searching for a sense of belonging in a place that made you feel shame. Yes, because I didn't I didn't I didn't I was the youngest and everybody said I was stupid. Oh, now we're going to get into it. Uh, every, I was the youngest and everybody said that I because I was the youngest and I didn't know as much as everybody else that I was I was stupid and I should just shut up and not and not and not do 
anything. And my older brother would, and my older, my older sister, and I feel sorry for her because she was put into the situation, but she was 10 years old. My mother was sick and my older sister was expected to babysit us to keep us quiet, to keep my dad happy. And I didn't know how dysfunctional any of that was. Mm-hmm. But because I was the youngest, I was expected to be uh, quiet. And if not, I was just sent to my room. And I, I spent, I, I spent, I learned how to play, <laughs> play all sorts of games by myself in my, to this day, mm-hmm. to this day, the reason I live alone, to this day, I'm much happier being alone because then I don't have to face the recriminations of anybody else that I'm living with. Does that make sense? That makes perfect sense. You are a person who creates a lot of energy and you were literally told you're not allowed to have energy. You were told you are not allowed to be who you are. And this is something that I, when we talk about trauma, when we talk about, you know, uh, traumas that have occurred, we often will think, Oh, it's just when something huge, when something big happens that changes everything. Micro traumas, I like to call them, are when you are told it is not safe to be who you are. And so everything that you are talking about, when we look at your chart, I'm looking at your chart, you have six gates lit up in your throat. You are someone who shares with your voice. And from a very young age, you were told you're not allowed to use your voice. You need right. to be ashamed of your voice. That's, that's a trauma. That is a trauma. That is something that you were, you were shamed for being who you are. And then we look at your, you have a defined mind and a defined head. You are someone who loves to take in information and you have, there, there's this channel up at the top there, the one that connects your head and your mind. This is the channel of abstraction. You see things differently than other people. You think outside the box and the way, and actually the way that you create ideas and the way that you express your intelligence, it starts from a place of confusion. You start from confusion. You figure out how to get out of confusion by working outside the box, thinking abstractly, and then you allow your throat, you have the channel of structuring. So you are able to take the stuff that you have learned and let it just come right out of your mouth. And it sounds like you lived in a household where this abstract way of thinking this way of taking in alternative ideas and being able to create them into something no one has ever heard before was not only not accepted, it was, they were scared. They were scared of this new thing. They were scared of the energy that you had to give and they did not know how to handle that. So they tried to silence you. From my older sister and older brother to keep me quiet so that my dad wouldn't, for, for my dad, my mother, no, you're right. You're right. I and I see I was the one of all of us. I was the one that would that wanted to be an actor that wanted to be to step out and to and to really do and and to, and to really do stuff. And it was always sit down, shut up, behave yourself. 
Um, mm-hmm. Don't talk back. Um, um, if you do talk back, you're going to go to your room. I spent more. I spent a lot of days in my room, and I still to this day to have no idea why. Because nobody. Because then nobody would talk to me about it. Yeah, I think it was probably because of that. It sounds like you were hiding. You were hiding from the people who made you feel like shit. Well, and and being being in my room was and and even see what my dad would do was be to shut me up. He'd just throw me in my room, and so that so I wasn't allowed to. And so now you have this conundrum of this is my safe space, but this is also my prison. Exactly. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And and also, by the way, I would like I would like to, um, you know, and which is why and then I became an athlete. And so I cool. played I played baseball and was an all star because my dad liked that. Yeah. And yeah. and so, you know, my brother yeah. couldn't do that. So he was dysfunctional on his own. He wasn't the athlete, so my dad ignored him completely. Uh, you know, so, so. And he probably deals with abandonment. <laughs> of course, he he did his whole life. Yeah. He did his whole life. You know, and so what what I I talk to people about a lot is that every family. I mean, my on the outside. Yeah. My sister was. A college graduate, she got, had a teacher's degree. My mom and dad were married for fifty plus years. My brother was a roofer, had his own company. I was an executive, and I had, but but when we were growing up, and and the the course of our family, we were dysfunctional. Every one of us was dysfunctional, um, in in our own way, and and a lot of it was done to us by external forces, and. That's why I, I continue to say if when my brother and I and my sister used to sit down and talk about our, our it was like we were from three different houses. We each had completely three different completely experiences of mm-hmm. what it was like to live in that house. And that's got to be dysfunctional, doesn't it? I mean, I would venture to I'd be very curious to see what your siblings charts look like, but I I feel like you guys probably have very different charts um, because yeah, this is something that I uh, also, what is the age difference? Um, my sister is five and a half years older. My brother is 18 months older. Okay. So your sister is significantly older and then you and your brother are kind of neck and neck. Yeah. She's turning 70 in three days. Wow. Happy birthday. Yeah. <laughs> your sister. <laughs> no. That's awesome. No. She's like, no, fuck that. I don't want to be 70. You know. <laughs> hey, 70 and thriving, baby. Make it's, it, make it, it, make it a thing. Well, and you know, and the other thing that I wanted to to ask you about, because yeah. in these charts that we're talking about, and by the way, you're helping me in a great in a great deal of way. Cause I I don't Good. nobody nobody ever asks me about this stuff. <laughs> This is the kind of stuff. This is why. So I, the the tagline that I mentioned the last time we talked, the idea that I help people to become the person they were born to be rather than the person they were raised to be that I came up with that very recently. And I am now understanding because this is what I do in all of my sessions. Honestly, most of the shit that we deal with started in childhood. And right now the discussion we are having fits into your chart so exactly and the thing that you are obviously struggling with is this need to belong 
And so the fact that you did not have the smoking with your father probably has more to do with the fact that you felt like your father was not that relationship that you witnessed as a child. This thing that you witnessed as a child that you saw as a father and a son getting along and belonging and feeling like and getting that fatherly love was not something that you received from your father or so from when, my, or from my friends uh, that's pro yeah and that's probably another thing because so, we all were smoking and yeah. i always felt that i didn't really belong with these cool people and stuff and mm -hmm. it, it, you, you just i did i just had another epiphany about that yeah. so so i've had self-esteem issues uh about that and does that play into my chart at all oh a hundred percent that we're right back to belonging we're right back to this need to belong because so what happens with that open undefined center that you have right in the center there is that when you are around other people who have defined energy there you feel their energy and while you're with them you think oh god i belong here Oh, I feel like I belong. I feel this thing that I've been craving my whole life. This thing that I witnessed my father and my grandfather having. This thing that I maybe, did your brother and sister get along better than you got along with your brother or sister? My, no. No? My, okay. My, my brother had, I would love for you to look at his chart. I, I, can't I would love to. I, I can't remember when he was born exactly. But my brother had, I think he had a, a undiagnosed mental disorder. Okay. Yeah. Because when, when I was 10 years old and I climbed up onto a ladder and put a rope around my neck because I'd seen Hang 'em High. Oh, um, God. I'd seen Hang 'em High, the preview for it. And I was, mm -hmm. I was 10. I was pretending that I was what it was like to be hanged. He pulled the ladder away. Now, oh, I had, I've never understood how somebody could into what what thought processes goes through somebody's mind when they are going to pull the ladder away and and see your brother swinging back and forth uh being hung by the neck and uh um he put the ladder he put fortunately it wasn't a slipknot um, okay because the, if it was a slipknot that could have killed that probably would have killed me yeah or i would have broken my neck uh, but be, but because it was just a regular knot, it didn't it didn't strangle me. It I just I just had rope burns from ear to ear. Uh, oh jeez! And then he got me down. But but anyway, so that's that's yeah, just a story yeah. For time. I mean, you know, that's that's something that we would that I I would I would probably want to dig into as well because it sounds like your brother. I I would not imagine that that was him being that that was him maliciously deciding that he wanted to end your life. I cannot imagine that that is what was happening. Um, oftentimes, there's just uh, especially as children, we we haven't quite figured out how we deal with information yet. We haven't quite figured out how things work, which is one of the reasons why I feel like. So many of like super violent video games, all of these things that small children are playing right now. It's this like they're learning from a young age that like, oh, well, when I hit the stripper with the car, I get points. <laughs> like, remember, I babysat a six year old at one point who was playing Miami Vice. 
And this, oh, no. he's, I'm like, I'm babysitting this kid. And I'm like, does your mom let you? And he's like, yeah, I play this all the time. <laughs> and I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, I don't, like, these are things that we internalize as children. And so the idea that this thing that he saw in a movie could actually hurt his brother probably didn't compute. But for you, you had seen it in the movie and had understood it in a different way than he had. So when he did that, that's, that is traumatic. That is a traumatic experience. So now not only are you in a situation where you feel like your father does not accept you for who you are, you're in a situation where you think your brother wants to kill you. <laughs> and, <laughs> and he didn't get into trouble for that. So with his, my mom, because uh, he took these, you remember those, those little small Band-Aids? Mm-hmm. And he, he put Band-Aids all around my neck. And we went in to the house and said, what happened to you? And they said, well, Randy hung me. And, and, that was, and she was so, so shocked that she didn't even pursue that or talk to him or, or go have him go see somebody about why he would do that or mm -hmm. any of that kind of stuff. And then later on, I found out that he hid in my sister's closet while she was changing because so he had some dysfunction to him. I see. Yeah. It sounds like he was very, he was very confused about who he was. Yes. He <laughs> didn't was. know how to express any of that. No. Um, and and he, probably didn't feel safe depend based on what you're talking about. Um, but yeah, I'd be very curious to see his chart because I'm, I'm sure that, because that's the thing that can happen when we're talking about this kind of stuff. And like, is that, if there is something in the chart, if there's something in your innate being that is being uh, shamed, something where you are very much feeling like you're not allowed to be who you are, and that thing, sometimes you can repress it, sometimes it can become a rebellious thing, sometimes it can become a, well, I'm going to do it anyway, you know? <laughs> so, is it is it possible? Because would, I would love to have this, is it, does this work this way? that because of the dynamics between my brother and I and my sister and I, that we knew that going in and our charts would show that, that we, that, that in, in a weird kind of way that we planned all this because we wanted to set obstacles up in a certain way in our life. It's, would that show up in these charts? Are you asking if the souls that were all born into the same house had decided they were going to be there for a reason and the reason was to create all of this? There I, had to be a reason for it. I I 100% believe that the souls arrived together for a reason. What played out after that, I think is based upon society. It's based upon the way that your parents were uh, raised, the way your parents understood to parent uh, the way that uh, your siblings, I mean, uh, your friends, like the p other people in your life treated you. So this is kind of the nature versus nurture argument. I think that while you are born with a very specific chart, and when we look at that chart, we can say, hey, look at look at all of the things that this person came into the world with and is going to leave the world with. But as we've been discussing in all of these places, you can be living in a higher or a lower vibration of that. So let's talk high, higher or lower vibration 
when it okay. comes to like this undefined self-center that you have. So the, the high, let's start with low because we've been talking about this. So the low vibration of this undefined self-center is the idea that because I can't define where it is that I belong, who it is that I belong with, I am innately unworthy. I do not deserve love. I do not deserve anything because I don't belong and I can't figure out how to feel like I belong no matter what I do. The, the higher vibration of having this undefined self-center is I don't need to feel defined in my concept of belonging because I make everyone else feel like they belong by being the person who they, who can hold their feelings for them. You are kind of like a hug. You are a hug on person. <laughs> <laughs> now, is that a reactive thing that a, a reaction to the immediate that I'm not good enough that then I rose to a place where I could be in charge and in control of the energy and create the, the, how it, it, it showed up for mm -hmm. everybody around me, which is why I wanted to be in management, which yeah. is why I wanted to have 70 people work for me and stuff. And yeah. I wanted to be the father of my household. And I wanted to be, because then I could be, I, it wasn't a matter of being accepted. I had to be accepted. Right. And I, I think that, so this, the concept of unconditional love, the concept of I've created this space, therefore it is mine and I will be accepted. That is in essence true. The place where it's coming from is still that sense of lack in that undefined self-center. And the thing that happens in here is that you, you kind of get to choose. So in this space, you are living in a, in a place of, I, I don't belong, therefore I'm not worthy. So if we were to remove that narrative, if we were to take that narrative out of it and instead say, I, I don't need to belong because that's not my design. I am here to lead. I am here to bring other people together. I am someone who understands so deeply what other people need to feel a sense of belonging that I can create a sense of belonging for everybody around me. Because with that undefined center, you can literally feel what other people need in order to feel like they belong. So when you are in the room with someone who is feeling like my best friend just, you know, told me that they didn't want to, they didn't want to hang out with me anymore and they're feeling dejected, you can feel what it feels like for them to feel dejected and you have the ability to feel what they need. And because you have so much other energy in your chart and you have so many other places where you can pull from, in that situation, for instance, there might be something that you could say with all of this beautiful energy in your throat that would help that person to feel better, to feel like, you know, the world hasn't ended. I am still allowed to, in, to I, I will belong somewhere else. I can love myself. 
So for you, the challenge is learning how to feel, to understand when you are feeling somebody else's feelings, because you don't need to feel identified with anything that comes through that space. And even though you were taught that when you were young, because when you saw this image of people belonging and were told you need to belong, you are supposed to belong. You are supposed to stand in line. You are supposed to conform. You are supposed to be like everybody else. You tried to hold on to that energy because they told you you were supposed to, but because you don't actually create it, all that did was create a shame spiral. And now when you try to belong because you're trying to conform, you find yourself lost in shame. And the way that you have created to counteract this, it sounds like, is by creating your own groups of people so that you have control over the people and you know that you will, you will belong. Which includes love life. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So go ahead. Yeah. So what can be really, really difficult with this undefined self-center is that when you get into a relationship with a person and when you are in a, in your, you're with someone on a regular basis, it's very, very easy for you to begin to identify with their sense of self. Oops. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and and get in poorly. Yeah. And so essentially, and because you have so much other strong energy in your chart, I, and if, if this is wrong, please tell me, but I would assume that a big thing that might happen is that you try to please this other person because you know what they need to feel good. So you try to please them, but then you end up trying to please them. And then everything about you, all of the things that are important to you start to fall to the wayside. And then when those things can't, when you can't keep them at bay anymore, they come out. Suddenly you're, you're saying things you don't want to say. Suddenly you're upset about things you don't want to be upset about. You're trying so hard to help that person, but you have, you have lost who you are in the space of trying to give that person what they need. Every damn time. So consequently to combat that, Mm-hmm. I basically have said, you know what? I love people and I generally do, but fuck it. I'm not going to have a personal relationship with somebody because then it's not, it's, I, it doesn't, it never ends well. Um, and so I would just as soon have a bunch of friends and, and be kind and be generous and, and do what I can for people. But if you want to step into my world, I don't think so. I don't think so. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Does what, that make sense? Oh, oh, 100%. That's, that makes so much sense. Um, and what I would say to you, and this is what I, I, I coach my clients when they have an undefined center that is uh, causing them this kind of grief, because essentially what's happening here is that rather than, uh, rather than dealing with the shit that's living in your self-center, you're just kind of, you're running away. You're doing the, I'm, I'm just not going to because it's too hard. What you can do instead is to really ground into what you do bring to the table. 
let your voice, let your mind, let your ability to make shit happen be the thing that drives you, be the thing that brings you into the space of whatever person. And rather than listening to that sense of belonging, which we now know stems from this thing with your father and your grandfather, rather than clinging on to that feeling, allowing everything else that comes in for you to be what what you are bringing to the table, your the things that you enjoy talking about, the things that you love to. Uh, one of the things that uh, I was noticing about your chart and uh, Dana's chart actually is that you have gate 33 coming out of your throat, which is, it's the gate of uh, privacy, but for every gate, we're looking at two opposite ends of the spectrum. So it's really an understanding of discretion which means that it makes you a great storyteller. It makes you really good at being able to tell a story start to finish. And Dana has the 13 coming out of her self-center. The 13 is the gate of the listener. Oh, wow. In so that so wow. When, when that discretion piece and the listener piece come together, you have a space where somebody is actually really excited to hear the stories that you have to tell. How did you know that? Because <laughs> that's exactly how the, you should see some of the, because you've never seen us interact together, right? No, I have not. <laughs> I, I will say, can I tell you a story? And she'll say, oh, yes, please. And, and then I'll tell the story. So speaking of which, I need to tell you this story. And I want okay. you to tell me how, because of my my hard thing how mm -hmm. i would deal with it okay i was married i was married mm -hmm. for 24 years mm -hmm. about 14 years in i was working for a company called craft food service it was i was a, a salesman for them cool. and and so i would sell product and then they would load it on a truck and the truck would take it to the restaurant and deliver it mm -hmm. well one of the drivers his name was tim mm -hmm. uh tim and i he was arrogant uh he was not in my mind, not a very nice person. I mean, I knew his wife and his kids. They were, they, his wife, Juanita was a wonderful, wonderful lady. And, uh, and then later on, he had another girlfriend that I thought she was really cool. And he was a dick. He was, a, he was a utterly awful person for my whole life. So we, I knew him 10 years. And he had been mean to me as well when I was a salesman because he could be, because he could be arrogant and he could, and, and so forth. Yeah. So fast forward, I'm doing the radio show. My wife says, I really would like to work out. I am paying for the radio show. I don't have enough money coming in, so I can't join the gym as well. But I tell her that she can go ahead and I'll pay for her to join. And I used an excuse why I couldn't join. Join, um, and so she, you know what a spin class is? Yes. So she joins a spin class with her and a couple of friends. One is a good friend that we have from when our kids were uh, Cub Scouts, and then she met a man who she ended up marrying in the spin class. And um, and Jennifer comes home to me one night. That's my ex-wife's name. Mm -hmm. 
And she says, I met this guy by the name of Tim. He's a really cool dude. He's a really nice guy. And I really like him and, uh, and stuff. So I don't put two and two together. And uh, then, then she gets closer and it gets closer. And then I discover that it's Tim Hall, this, wow. the, this guy that uh, we'd had this terrible relationship with. And then one night she says, Tim and I are going to go hiking because they like to hike a lot with the group and they were bicyclists and they did that kind of stuff. I couldn't do it. I had a replacement, a hip replacement, back surgery and all that. Uh, cause I beat myself up as a kid. And, and so, uh, they go to the ocean, it's 40 degrees and raining like this and they're going hiking. I was born at night, but I wasn't born last night. And so consequently, and to make a long story short, they have an affair. Mm-hmm. The, the very guy who had been so mean to me for 10 years had an affair and it was sanctioned by these two friends at the, at the gym because they were having relations while they were on vacation. And, and some, so everybody knew about it, but me. And so at the end, at the end of this, I, I end up taking my wife to breakfast and I say, what's, what are you doing? That's exactly what I said. I said, what are you doing? Yeah. And she said, well, uh, Tim and I, and that, and that, and I'm, I, I want to leave and I want to be done. Well, they took the, so she did. And her and these two people that were our best friends helped her move and take whatever they wanted out of the house. I stayed in a motel for two days because I couldn't, I couldn't, be, I couldn't bear to have my house taken apart like that and to have them there and doing that. And then, and then uh, my, my son, my oldest son, was telling me that he was standing in the garage when this other person said to my wife, boy, am I glad we don't have to clean any of this crap up. And so they left. They set my wife up in, in an apartment someplace else, and they never... I never saw any of them again. Wow. What would your heart say? <laughs> what? And so consequently, I, all my friends went with her, everything, you know, I brought in a 40 foot dumpster and started to clean my house up. I had to clean my house all up and, and sell it and do all that. And my family was there for me. Thank you. Uh, thank goodness. But her family wasn't and, and nobody was. So, so that's, that was 15 years ago that we, that we divorced. And, uh, I have no desire to, you know, so how would, how, how would my heart interpret that? (laughs) So that is traumatic. Give yours, I don't know if you've taken that moment before, but that thing that you experienced that you just described to me, that is a trauma. That is the kind of thing that you could be experiencing PTSD from, that you could be experiencing serious trauma from. It only would have been worse to had I picked up because I considered it, picked up a shotgun and gone and found him. Which I just, which I decided that I wasn't going to do because that wasn't me, but, but that I entertained that thought. And I'm, I'm glad that you did not do that. (laughs) 
Um, but yes, I, so just to make sure that you are acknowledging that you went through something traumatic and that this is something you are allowed to acknowledge. Um, now from my, from a, a perspective of looking at this from a bird's eye view, I find, this is something I found in my own life, in my clients' lives, that oftentimes the things that come into our space are here to kind of poke at the parts of us that we need to work on. And so from the very beginning, this whole conversation that we've been having is about you feeling the need to belong. And now this situation you're talking about, this is the absolute epitome of I created a group of people who I thought I had control over. I thought I had control. I thought I decided these are my people. I finally belong somewhere. I can finally have a defined concept of belonging. And the universe was like, no, no, sir. You do not have a defined concept of belonging. <laughs> We're going to remind you over and over and over and over again. And literally took this person who made you feel like shit, who made you feel like you didn't belong in your own place of work, and let that person be the person who ripped apart the world that you thought you had control over. In, yes, indeed. And then took not just your wife, but your two best friends, ripped them from your life, therefore taking your circle of people who you thought you belonged in, who you had attached this concept of belonging to, and ripped them out of your life. So essentially, what's happening here is that because bec the reason this was so difficult for you and the reason this was so traumatic for you was because you, from a very early age, created the idea inside this undefined self-center that if I do not belong, then I am not succeeding. I am not okay. I perhaps it was if I don't belong, I will be outcast. If I do not belong, I will not be loved. I will not deserve love. So you learned this from a very early age. It was taught to you, you internalized it. And then when we have something like that, living in an undefined center, it's kind of like a black hole. The more stuff you throw into it, the more I belong, I belong, I belong, I belong, I belong, you throw into it, it just sucks it all away. It just sucks and sucks and sucks and the black hole just keeps getting bigger until you just don't, until you just stop putting anything in there. So this feels like the universe putting you in that position and saying, stop trying to fit in, stop trying to belong. You are not here to, to, to figure out how you fit in. Go ahead. <laughs> nope, nope, you, you go. <laughs> and that is why, um, you know, I, I, you haven't met Holly yet, but you will. And okay. she, she's adorable and she's, a, she's, she's a great gal and she doesn't put up with my bullshit because there is some and, <laughs> and, and Dana as well. But one of the things that I keep doing is I keep inviting people in. 
I keep inviting like, like guys, you know, come and be a co-host, come and do it. It never works out because I'm, I want to belong, I guess. And then you, now you're making perfect sense. But what the universe keeps telling me is no, you stupid son of a bitch. You're supposed to be the one who stands up. You're supposed to be the one who shines in this. And you're supposed to follow what we're telling you that is your mission to do. And excuse the expression, fuck everybody. That's what you were, that's what we are telling you that. <laughs> and then, you know what they do? They're insidious. The, mm. the, the folks on the other side, because then mm. I will feel badly or I'll start to feel down about who I am or whatever. And then people that I talk to, they'll say, I, I had three of them yesterday. I did three different uh, interviews and they said, I just want you to know, I was listening to you the other day and it's fabulous what you do. I just love how you treat people and, and what you, what you're, what you're about and, and stuff. And so it's, it's like, well, I guess maybe I am supposed to be doing this and, and the universe is telling me, and that's why they don't want me to be polluted with a, because my ex-wife was not a fan of what I did. And so, Oh, 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 <laughs> So I'm sorry. So you're telling me right now that this person who shined this whole concept of you need to stop trying to belong did not like any of the things that you were did not appreciate who you are, your individual self, and that likely the only reason you were in that space with her was because she had a defined self center and made you feel like you belonged anywhere, somewhere, anywhere. And, and I would do it and I did everything in my power to try and make her happy and, and took away, I, I, I let all my friends from high school go, um, because she didn't want, she wanted me to be, you know, where this is going. Yes. So, so yes. I, I let everything that, and to try and make her happy. And at the end of the day, nothing could make her happy except for somebody else. God. Yeah. Can I tell you one more thing about your chart? I, I don't know. Are we, are, do we have to deal with time? Are we like, we're at like, no, no, no? I'm, <laughs> I, I tell you, I'm having too good of a time with, with <laughs> you, because you are, you know, and, and this is a ladies and gentlemen that are going to listen to this later. This was not set up at all. <laughs> we had no, earthly I, idea. I thought I was going to be talking to Dana today. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we had no earthly idea, but then it started out with this, smoking thing and now an and hour now, we are. now hour and 10 minutes later we are so so what tell me one more thing about my chart so i i was just looking so the one of the things that is in the chart is uh the the channels so if you see all of the lines the lines that are either red or black or red meeting black um these are what we call channels and the channels are the places that if you have a gate on either side they connect and the channels tend to be kind of overarching themes that affect most of your life. So like we said before, you have a lot of energy. You have six different channels, which is actually a lot of channels. So you bring a lot of consistent energy to the world. Um, and you actually, two of your channels, I'm, I'm pretty sure it's just two, it might actually be three of them, are what we call the ego circuit. 
So the ego circuit, and you actually, you have a lot of tribal energy too. So the, we break down circuitry into three different categories. There's individual circuitry, which is the circuitry that uh, is based on you thriving as an individual person. There's tribal circuitry, which is about the, the tribe. So essentially this is the person who figures out how to do the things and then is able to show the tribe so the tribe can do the thing. And then we have collective energy and collective energy is circuitry is the kind of the next level. So it's the space of how it affects humanity, how we're affecting hum the humans at large, how laws are put into place in order to make the thing that we discovered for the tribe make sense. So the big example of this is uh, you have the guy who created the hammer. So this guy over here, he created a hammer. He used the hammer to build his house. He's by himself, individual circuitry. He figured it out, used his brain. Then someone from a neighboring town comes in and this guy has a lot of tribal circuitry. And he sees this other guy using his hammer and goes, that's great. My whole tribe could use that. Can we, can we make this a thing? And so the guy with the tribal energy comes in and takes that hammer and figures out how to mass produce it so that everyone in his village can use a hammer. Then two generations later, the granddaughter of the guy who made everybody a hammer realizes that now people are killing each other with hammers and we have to figure out how to put a regulation on this so that people aren't dying because of hammer use. So now this granddaughter, to you know, uh, two generations later, is saying, "Okay, now we have to put a rule that you are only allowed to use your hammer if you are doing a construction project, <laughs> whatever." So it's these three different kinds of energy. So when we're thinking about the way that, like, the reasons we are here, the thing that brings us here, you get individual, tribal, and collective. You have a lot of tribal energy in your chart. So that tribal energy is that space of you being exactly what you're doing right now. The person who stands up and shares with your tribe, who says to your tribe, here, these are tools you can use, try them. And two, at least two, I think it might even be three of your channels are part of the tribal ego circuit, which means that you are the person who not only shares the idea with the tribe, you come up with the idea. You're the person who needs to do your, who needs to figure out what you need to do, your individual world, what is important to you and the things that are, are uh, necessary for you to feel good in your life, for you to feel uh, like you're, for you to feel satisfied. Those are the things that are going to, in turn, fuel the tribe. So literally what we are doing right now, what is happening right now is that we are doing an entire podcast talking about you. We are talking about you. We're talking about your world. We're talking about your feelings. This is a very egocentric concept, but you are doing it in a way that you are showing your whole tribe something that might help them you are giving your whole tribe the ability to understand what it might actually look like 
to dive into their human design, to dive into a, a coaching concept, to figure out what's underneath all of the shit, to find that awareness. And you are empowering your tribe to take that step for themselves by standing in your own ego. <laughs> you are very talented. I got it. <laughs> And when, but you now when you say standing in your own ego, that's not a bad thing. No, not at all. And that's the thing. That's the thing is that when we hear the word ego, when we hear the word selfish, these are words that we have deemed as bad. And this is, this is where radical self-acceptance comes in. Ego is not bad. Being selfish, this idea of, oh, I'm taking care of myself before I take care of other people. That makes me selfish. No, no. No. <laughs> when you, no, 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 no. When you take care of yourself first, you have a full cup to give from. One of the things that we say in this world is give from your saucer. Let your cup overflow into the saucer and give from the saucer. Yeah, that's a hell of a metaphor. And by the way, I just want to just want to mention this. If yeah. somebody hasn't listened to this whole thing, we started out talking about that and we've made a complete circle around it and, <laughs> it, and came back to it. Isn't that amazing? Yay! That's amazing. That was and, beautiful. And everything that we've talked about in this hour has, and first of all, all of it's true. And, uh, and, and I haven't Thank colored you for sharing so much of yourself here. This, that was, this was beautiful. And I'm, th that is great. That is so brave for you to stand up and share everything that you have shared on this podcast right now. It's, and, and you, and you said it, it's important. I feel that it's important because there's somebody that's going to be out there that is going to, that is saying, Good Lord, are you telling me that a guy that was a, a complete ass and then he had an affair with your wife and your wife left and everybody and 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 you didn't take that gun and shoot him? I am imploring everybody take a breath because I will tell you, just just as an aside, there was a moment and I I've never had a panic attack. Yeah, I've never thought about having a panic attack, but I was in my house. My son was over there. My, my, my son and my youngest son and their youngest son were best friends at the time. So he was spending time over there. I hadn't talked to these people, and, uh, but I needed to call my son. And so I called him. And this guy, his name is Rick, who was married to the, anyway, he was one of them. And mm -hmm. he picked up the phone and said, hi, how are you? And then he said, and then he said, oh, by the way, I just want you to know, I love you. Click. And it was like, I almost had, a, I, I felt like I was having a panic attack. At that, How could you do that? How could you allow all of this to happen? I'm now alone in my house with nobody there and, and nobody who, and you, you know what I mean? And, oh, it yeah. was, and it was, it was the most, you know, the bizarre, most bizarre experience, but, wow. and that's, that's what I call part of what I call my, my, the period of my life, which was the bad country music song. <laughs> yeah. When you delve deeper into it, it's a lot more, it, 
it sounds a little uh, trite and a little you know flip to say this is a bad country music song but when you get into the deeper the deeper you go the darker it is and i'm just so damn proud of the fact that through the universe and through help um as an example i was um this is also part of that story is that uh two years later fast forward um i tried doing the some more radio show hadn't worked and and stuff i was doing a late night music thing hadn't worked out and i was running out of money and i needed to i needed to make money and the gal who was when i first started she was a um um a psychic medium and she was one of the first people i brought on the show she calls me up and she says and we've become really good friends she called me up and said you know my girlfriend she's a lesbian my girlfriend is a supervisor for king county metro and they're looking for bus drivers i said oh no way i could can, can you imagine being a bus driver what a shitty job that would be and so but <laughs> I needed the money, so she helped me and negotiate a bunch of stuff. And then I was able to be a bus driver for 12 years. And my oldest son will tell you to this day that saved our family, that job, because I was able to make enough money to do that. And then I became disabled, and now I can do this. It was all in God's plan. That how, And I had to lose all of those people that were in my life before in order to restart and do it all over again and and i get it now yep yeah and you know what's crazy this whole connection world of people that you've created all of these people that you've pulled together we're all coming from all over the place and there doesn't need to be any sense of belonging in order for you to bring all of these people together because you do it with your voice because you do it with your passion because you do it with your intuition, because you do it with every other part of who you are. And it's not about, I need to pull these people in in order to feel like I belong. It's about, I'm here to do this. I'm here to share these things with the world. And this is me standing in my purpose. And, and the universe gets to take care of everything else. Because I've seen people who are trying to be the Messiah. Or trying to be the really cool kid who stands in front of the room, mm-hmm. they're not. By and large, it's all a facade because they're trying to uh, revel in their personal power, and yeah. then their power is what I can do over you. I don't. I know. Yeah. All I want to do is see. What I really want to do is provide people like you who can help people and you can do that. How somebody get a hold of you, by the way, I'm going back to my radio thing. Oh, absolutely. Um, yeah, you can follow me on Instagram. I'm underscore Kayla underscore Mason on Instagram. And you can also catch me on my website. It is Kayla care dot live edit Aurora.com. I will be getting a new one of those soon, but I'm sure Kevin will put the, will put the link. In well, I, I, I got to tell you, you now we've got to do one of two things. You now know so much about me. I either have to kill you or invite you in to be on the show all the time. So, I would I would love to be on the show all the time and I'd rather not die. I've got too much more work to do. Uh, <laughs> you do. You do. And, and uh, no, you've got and you are you. It is remarkable uh, how you can 
it is remarkable how you can help people. It just really is. Thank you and, so much. I really appreciate that. And and the reason that I say that is that I've talked to a lot of folks, and but you, in conjunction with working with the chart, you can show me the science. You can also show me why it is the way it is and how over the course of time I have been negotiating. That's been my negotiating part my entire life. I'm just coming into, I'm just learning that whether or not to stand in my own power or to try and be one of the group, whether to be the one that is helping people get to where they want to go or the one that's shy and hiding. Um, Mm -hmm. That's been the struggle. It's so. And it's, it's all over your chart. We could talk for three hours about all the places that that exact thing exists in your chart. It's in your profile. It's in uh, the other channels. It's, it's, having all that tribal energy, but having that undefined self-center, you want everyone to come together, but you are not supposed to be the person who feels that sense. You are the person who creates it with your own individuality. And it has, and at the, at the end of the day, and I, I have said this often, this has nothing to do with me. This has to do and with it me. has everything to do with you. <laughs> okay. Okay. Now, <laughs> now you're getting me. I, yeah. Um, it, it has, it has everything to do with me, but it has nothing to do with me from the standpoint of this is not about me. Mm, Yeah. It is, it is about bringing people to the place where you, they, you can help people. And so my job is to make sure that I bring good, good people that can help other people to, to the place. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's, And And it's also really important that you enjoy it. I think that's one of the things, and we can talk about that on another day, but uh, a a huge part of it's acknowledging that you don't need to be a humanitarian. You don't need to be putting yourself aside for the good of others in order to help other people. And a lot of times, I actually just posted this on my Instagram, that Sometimes you are not a person who is here to directly help others. Sometimes you are here to show others that things they thought were impossible are entirely possible. And if you can stand up and show the world this is possible, then somebody else who didn't know that it was possible is going to say, oh, uh, maybe I could do that thing. So by standing in your own power, you are literally helping other people without even realizing it. You're amazing. There's just something. <laughs> yes. And we will. <laughs> and ladies and gentlemen, we are going to continue the psychoanalyst at another time and date uh, to, be, to be named shortly. So I hope that you'll come back <laughs> and, and hang out with us because this is, yeah. this has been, you know, just like way too much fun. I I'm having a blast. This is great. I, I love hanging out with you. <laughs> and and her sessions go just like that. So she's very uh, easy to get along with, and she's very, very insightful. And she's given me a shitload of stuff to think about. The only thing that I do in my sessions that I didn't do here, because I didn't know if it would land, is I guide meditations. So maybe we could do a guided meditation on the podcast at some point. But. At, do you know, it's interesting. I have a, 
um, when I first started doing podcasts, I have I put up a guided meditation that yeah. that has been downloaded well over 2000 times. I never even the guy who did it, I didn't even do it. The guy who did it is the original guy that got me into the spiritual movement and and he did a guided meditation and it sat for 10 years for no for 20 years in in my desk with the other CDs and stuff. I pulled it out and it still worked. And so I put it up on a podcast and it's been downloaded well over 2000 times. Wow. Wow. Well, there you so, go. So it's somebody, somebody's been listening to it. So, yeah. you know, so yeah, we should do it. We should yeah. do it. We should cool. do it. So, you know, I, again, go to her website, which is kaylacare.liveeditorora.com. And I I would really like to thank you from the bottom of my heart, but we're going to, we're going to leave it there and I'll be, don't go anywhere. I'll be right okay. back. Thanks for enjoying this episode all the way to the end. Please give us a like and subscribe to this channel. This has been a production of kmmedia.pro. Please visit our website, oddly enough, named kmmedia.pro for more details about us and our mission which is to provide great, positive programming designed to inspire us all. I'm Kevin McDonald, and I'm proud of these shows, and I truly hope that you'll like them and share them with friends and family. So on behalf of our entire team, remember, be kind to each other, because each other's all we've got. We'll see you next time.